Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Esther. To the book of Esther this morning. If you have trouble finding it, it's on page 688 is where I'll be. Of course, you'll have to have a MacArthur Study Bible for that to line up. So if you don't, you're going to have to look at the Old Testament. You're going to have to look at the Old Testament. Actually, if you find the book of Job, which I think you're probably familiar with, which is right in there right before Psalms, turn back to the left from uh, the book of Job and you'll run into the book of Esther. Into the book of Esther. Once you have found the book of Esther, find chapter 4 with me. Chapter 4 of the book of Esther. Once you found Esther chapter 4, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning. Esther chapter 4. We'll read just two short verses starting in verse 13. And it reads like this. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Father, this morning, we come before your throne of grace. First asking, first asking you for forgiveness of our sins. Father, cleanse our hearts this morning through the power of your son, Jesus Christ. Through your power, the same power that raised him from the dead. Let our hearts be focused upon you. Let us examine our hearts and lives and ask the question. Are we here in your kingdom for such a time as this? Make very little of this pastor this morning, very much of yourself, that we may see your glory fill this place. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Book of Esther. Book of Esther is an interesting book in the Bible. Matter of fact, some years ago, maybe one or two years ago, if you were with us, we had the Purim here. And uh, actually, I believe I read the entire book of Esther for that, I believe, if, if I remember correctly. And, and uh, we had the kids act out some parts of it. The book of Esther is just an amazing book in the Bible. And one of the amazing things about this book in the Bible is you cannot find the name of God anywhere in it. It's never mentioned. In the original language, in the English language, it's never there. But there is one thing for sure. You can find his fingerprints all over the story, all over the story. It's it's named after a Jewish lady that at one point in the story becomes a queen. It has a supporting actor that's also Jewish. It happens to be her cousin. It happens to be her cousin. And it happens in a time that is just so critical to the survival of God's people, Israel. 
It's just a critical moment in their life. As a setup to uh, this part of the text, just a short part of the text that we read, let me tell you about the opening chapters. The opening chapters, to put everything in the context for you. The, the king at this particular time is King Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus. The queen, as the, as the book starts, is actually a queen named Vashti. If you remember, Vashti's her name. Vashti does something really crazy and upsets the king, so the king just kicks her out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little different, I guess, when you're a king. If you get tired, of him, you just dispose of them. So I guess the, the whole wedding ceremony for a king is uh, till death do you part or you make me mad and I throw you out of the house. I guess is the way it goes there. So anyhow, he winds up kicking her out. So the king, he gets in search of this, this new queen. This new queen. Did I mention that the king's not Jewish? Did I mention that the nation that he oversees is not Jewish? <laughs> and there just so happens to be this beautiful Jewish woman <laughs> That catches his eye. Her name is Esther. Her name is Esther. It just so happens that Esther has a cousin named Mordecai. And it just so happens that Mordecai hears about this plot for, for the death of the king. Where the king is going to be put to death. And it just so happens that, that Mordecai tells Esther. And it just so happens that Esther tells the king. And the king's life then is spared. Because of what Mordecai did, because of him passing along the story of this plot of the, of the uh, overthrow and the death of the king, uh, Mordecai's story gets written in the book of Chronicles of the King. Gets written in the book of the Chronicles of the King. But you know, Mordecai is never honored. There's never a banquet thrown for him. There's, he's never paraded around as the one who announces this plot and saves the life of the king. But it is recorded, which is integral to the later parts of the story. There just so happens to be another character in the book of Esther. If you remember from the Purim, there was one name that every time it was mentioned, everyone booed. You're, you're welcome to this morning, as I mentioned, if you would like. But his name is Haman. His name is Haman. Let's just say he's less than the honorable of, of the bunch. <laughs> uh, Haman's not such a, a good guy. Matter of fact, Haman absolutely hated the Jews and the Jewish people. He especially hated Mordecai. He, he just had an intense hatred for Mordecai because Mordecai refused to, to basically bow down or to worship or to recognize Haman as this important person that, that he had become because the king had elevated Haman within his kingdom to a particular position. And because of the fact that, that Mordecai wouldn't worship Haman, wouldn't recognize him as being somebody very special, uh, Haman had it out for Mordecai. He really did. He had it out for Mordecai. Matter of fact, he, he so had it out for Mordecai and the Jewish people that, that Haman convinces the king to make a, an edict that all the Jews of the land would be killed. Sound familiar? I believe there's a fellow named Hitler. That had the same objective, if you remember. Millions upon millions were slaughtered. Because of so here's Haman. He gets the king to, to make this edict. <laughs> the thing is, it would not only just eliminate Mordecai, his, his arch enemy, so to speak, in Haman's mind. It would not just eliminate him, but it also would eliminate all the ones... Who worshiped the real true God. The battle wasn't about Haman and the Jewish people. 
the battle was between Satan and God. The purpose, without Haman even knowing it, was to eliminate the worship of the Almighty God in the land through the people of Israel. Needless to say, this troubled Mordecai. This troubled Mordecai so much that he, he just ran. He tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes, which at that time was a representation of mourning, of, of just being uh, literally devastated by something. And he went and he sat in the city gate and he cried out during the day, just cried out bitterly for the salvation of his brothers and sisters, the Jewish people. When Esther heard of, of the of the grief of her, her cousin Mordecai, when she heard of this grief, she, she sent word out to him, what's going on, Mordecai? Well, what is the issue here? Mordecai sent word back to her, sent word back to her that the king had made an edict that would destroy all of the Jewish people as well as her being Jewish. She was asked by Mordecai to go into the presence of the king since she found favor in the sight of the king and to remedy this situation. But Esther knew to go into the presence of the king without the king beckoning for you to come would mean one of two things. You may find favor and be accepted, but more than likely you wouldn't find favor and you would die on the spot. So Mordecai sends her the message that we read this morning. Those two short verses, 13 and 14. He basically tells her this, that if she did not sway the heart of the king, that she would suffer the same fate as all the rest of the Jews. Death. To not go in, to not sway the heart of the king, would certainly lead to her death along with the rest of the other Jews. And then he added these words. These words are really, if you remember, our theme for the year. The words of the added are in the last part of those verses that we read when it says, Yet who knows? <laughs> Yet who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Have you ever asked yourself why God has brought you into his kingdom? It's a question we should ask ourselves. I told you I think God has a vision for our church that's bigger than anything we've ever accomplished before for His glory. I think the question that will lead to the vision is the question, why are you personally? And why are we as a church in God's kingdom? And could it be for such a time as this? For such a time as this. There are three things I believe that we can learn from the story of Esther that should radically change how we look at God and how we look at what He has in store for us both personally and corporately. The very first thing I see as I read this, this book, and especially these passages, the first thing I see is that God is sovereign over all things. God is sovereign over all things. Like I said in the introduction to the book, and those just giving you a brief synopsis of those first chapters, God is not mentioned by name anywhere in the book, but make no mistake about it. 
Make no mistake about the fact, everything that happens in this book hold the fingerprints of an almighty, sovereign God. They're all over this book. And I think it would do us good to look for the fingerprints of God on us and on our church. Let's see how it would be impossible for the story of Esther to exist without God's sovereignty, in particular, over the history of the Jewish people. I gave you the circumstances that led up to the part of the story that we read. Now let's look at the divine intervention of God in the rest of the story. Esther, Esther's been in preparation to go into the king for some time, maybe as possible as long as a year. She's been in preparation where they, it says they, they give them uh, beauty supplies. It's kind of like you ladies getting in front of a mirror, even though none of you need it. You get in front of the mirror and you add things to make yourself more beautiful. And at night before you go to bed, you put on a cucumber mask or something. Does anybody do cucumber mask? Would you be willing to admit in front of the others? No. How about mud mask? Anybody with the mud mask theme? Got a couple. Oh, Cliff. Cliff does mud mask over here on the side. Uh, yeah, but, but you do these things. You do these things to beautify yourself. So for possibly as long as a year, Esther had been taken care of, been in with a group of other ladies, and, and the sole preparation to go into, uh, into the king, to go in and visit the king. Yet her time had not come yet. The time of preparation had not been over. She had not been beckoned. The golden scepter had not been extended to her to come into his presence as of yet. When Mordecai sent uh, word of the edict to her, it, it greatly disturbed her. Don't get me wrong. It upset her like it did Mordecai that the Jewish people would, would be eradicated. But she also knew that to go in and do what it was that Mordecai was asking her to do, she ran the very real risk of upsetting the king and losing her life right there on the spot. It just hit me. How many of us ignore what God is telling us to do because we're worried about losing our life? Not physically. There's not a one that sits in this room that is facing death because you do what God asks you to do. But you are facing losing your life. The life that you hold on so tightly to because you enjoy so much. She was asked to go in and do something that would cause her to possibly face physical death. Mordecai knew and he told her that God had a plan. God had a plan. And that plan was going to be fulfilled with her or without her. Because God was sovereign over the situation. It's going to be fulfilled with or without her. How do I know that? Because verse 14. Verse 14 says, For if you remain completely silent at this time, in other words, Esther, if you choose not to go into the king and say, why have you done this edict? I'm a Jew. You, you found, I found favor in your sight. What have the Jewish people done? Why, why would you kill the Jewish people? If you decide, Esther, that you want to remain silent, if you decide you don't want to go in and, and speak up for God, if you want to sit in your pew on Sunday and you want to leave on Monday and tell nobody about what God's done in your life, it's okay. It's okay. Do it. <laughs> But notice what he says. Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Sit on your pew, soak it up, leave the building and never tell anybody it's okay. God will find somebody to tell somebody else about Jesus. And what Mordecai was telling her is, Esther, you don't have to participate. It's your choice. Be quiet. Be quiet. God will raise someone else up to tell. But Esther, there's a problem. 
If you choose to be a disobedient to God, death will come. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Mordecai knew and believed that God was sovereign over the situation. He had no doubt that this situation would be taken care of by an almighty sovereign God. When Esther heard Mordecai's faith in God, she agreed to go in. She agreed to respond. In fact, she even asked for help. Real quick, in verses 15 and 16, we didn't read it, it says this, And Esther told them, talking about the group, Mordecai and the others, to reply to Mordecai, those said, Go back and tell Mordecai this, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. In other words, take time away from those things that are so important in your life. Fast that you may come into harmony with God and hear God's voice. It says, Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. So you fast for me. We're going to fast in preparation to do this, to hear God's word, to know what he would have us do. And he says, And so I will go. Go to the king, which is against the law. <laughs> kind of interesting. And then she says, if I perish, I perish. She so believed in the sovereignty of God, she said that if I perish, I perish. Reminds me of a man on a mountain with his son laid on an altar and a life lifted high. To drive it to the heart of his only son, the promised son that was said to be the one who would be the father of all nations. He was to be the father of all nations. He was going to kill his only son. Why? Because God said do it. Because he knew God was faithful. And if God had promised this young man was going to be that important, that if he did what God said and killed him, that God was obligated to raise him from the dead. Because God is sovereign. Esther knew. That because of God's sovereignty, if she went into the presence of the king and the king decided to kill her, so be it. She said, if I perish, I perish. How does this story show us the sovereignty of God? Very quickly, because I know you're going to find this as a surprise. We're already short on time. Let me fly through some examples that I wrote down about how this shows us the sovereignty of God. It just so happened that King Ahasuerus had been smitten with Esther. And it just so happened that she was moved to help her fellow Jews by going in to the king. And it just so happens that she stood in the inner court, it tells us, dressed in her royal robes, that the king extended the scepter to her to invite her in. And it just so happened when the king asked what it was that she wanted, she invited the king and this wicked Haman to come over to her place for a banquet. And it just so happened that the king and Haman accepted the invitation and they went. And it just so happened it just so happened at the banquet that the king asked Esther what is it I could do for you what is it I could do for you and it just so happens then that she invites them to another banquet the next day and it just so happens that they said we would be glad to come to another banquet the next day. It just so happened as Haman left the banquet he was walking past the city gate and there sat Mordecai <laughs> He was sitting in the gate. Again, as Haman passed, Mordecai didn't even acknowledge him. He didn't stand. He didn't act as if Haman was anybody. You know what that did to Haman. Haman was infuriated. And it just so happened he became angry because Mordecai would not stand and he would not worship him. And it just so happens that he tells his friends and he tells his wife about this 
dishonor that Mordecai had done to him. And it just so happened that they convinced him to build a set of gallows. Build a set of gallows, which which to hang Mordecai on the next day. <laughs> and it just so happens that Haman decided that was a great idea, and he did exactly what it was that they suggested. And he decided, he decided the next morning he'd get up early, he'd go over to the king, he'd explain about this Mordecai and his not honoring him in his position, and he would let the king know, I'm going to hang him on the gallows out here to prove a point. Uh, just so happened that this came to his mind. Well. It just so happened that night the king couldn't sleep. The king couldn't sleep. And like any good king, he decided to go to sleep. You know what would help? It would help if someone would read me a story. So it just so happens he tells his servant, would you please go get a story? Would you read the story to me so that I might fall asleep? <laughs> and it just so happens as the servant goes to the shelf and he pulls off the book, and he brings the book back to the king to read. And he flips open the book to read. <laughs> it's the story of Mordecai. The story of Mordecai saving the king's life when he unveils the plot <laughs> to kill him. It just so happens that the king then remembers he had heard the story. He was glad that he had heard the story. He's glad that his life was saved, but he remembered there had never been anything done for this Mordecai. So the king decides that in the morning, whenever he awakes, the first thing he's going to do is find a way to honor Mordecai. And it just so happens <laughs> that in the morning, Haman comes beep-bopping into the king with his plan to get permission to hang Mordecai on the gallows. <laughs> And it just so happens, <laughs> as he enters, the king says this to him in chapter 5, verse 6. I'm sorry. He says this to him. What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? What shall be done for the man the king delights to honor? Haman thinks that, wow, that must be he says, the king, I got an idea. Why don't you take one of your robes that you wear and why don't you place it on that man? Why don't you put him on a horse? Let's parade him around the whole empire for everyone to see. So King Ahasuerus tells Haman, that's a great idea. Why don't you go do that for Mordecai? <laughs> do you see the problem? <laughs> do you see the problem? He says, and why don't you do it this morning before we go to the banquet with Esther? So it happens. Haman gets the honor of parading Mordecai around in a king's robe on a horse for all to see. So later in the day, the king and Haman go to Esther's banquet. And it just so happens at the banquet, the king looks at Esther and says, Queen Esther, you've had banquets for us, you've done these things. What is it that you would request of the king? I will give to you up to half of my kingdom if you'll only ask. What is it that I can do for you? 
Queen Esther makes a very interesting request. She makes a request for her life and for the life of the Jews to be spared. For her life and the life of the Jews to be spared. In verse 5 of chapter 7 it says this, So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? What is the thing that he is asking? Queen Esther let the king know that he had been tricked into signing an edict to kill the Jewish people. The king's response was, Who would get me to do that? I love Queen Esther's response. Because <laughs> it just so happened that this time, into the banquet hall walks one Haman. I could almost see her as she's facing the king and he says, Who is it? Who would have me do it? And the doors swing open as he comes in and she says, That would be him. <laughs> that one right over there. What is the king's response? <laughs> The king's response is he becomes so angry at what David had tricked him into doing that he gets up, he storms out of the banquet hall and leaves him. Haman realizes that the anger of the king has fallen upon him and the queen Esther is the one who had revealed it. So Haman comes over and falls on the queen begging for his life. And it just so happens as he lays across the queen begging for his life, that the king gathers his thoughts and comes back into the banquet hall. Sees Haman laying on the queen and assumes he's decided to assault her. <laughs> when he saw Haman laying there, he did get a little angry. He decided it was time to deal with this Haman. It was time that he be hanged. <laughs> One of the guys standing there said, I know how we can deal with him. Why don't we just hang him? <laughs> and it just so happened there was a brand new set of gallows just built. It was a brand new set of gallows just built by Haman on which to hang Mordecai. It tells us in verse 10 of chapter 7. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that had been prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. You know what I know about that story? You can't make that up. A wicked man that so despised God's people that he wanted them destroyed, especially one, Mordecai, built a set of gallows to hang the man on to do away with him. In the process of all that, the man who was going to be hanged winds up being honored, paraded around the community. The guy who built the gallows to hang him winds up upsetting the king. The king uses the gallows that Haman built to hang him. You can't make a movie script like that. It's the fingerprints of God all over the story. God can use anyone and anything for his glory. And the sovereignty of God reigns in the story of Esther. God's sovereign hands in control of every detail in the salvation of his people, the Jews. 
But what's so important about that story to us? God's people are not just made up of the Jews. The story first came to the Jews, but then it was extended to a group called the Gentiles, of which this room is full. If he'll go to that trouble to save the Jews, what trouble will he go to to save you? The sovereign hand of God that saved the Jews is the same sovereign hand that works in our life today. God's sovereign hand is in control of everything in our life and in our world today. It's no coincidence that you're here in this place today. Maybe you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never come to have a relationship with Him. Maybe this morning it is God's plan for you to walk in this door to hear that Jesus loves you, that God loves you so much that Jesus hung upon a cross for your sins, that He died to pay the penalty of your sins and He was buried in a tomb and three days later came out because the tomb was empty and He defeated death for you for all of eternity. Maybe this morning the purpose of you being in this place is so that your life can be changed forever. Maybe, just maybe, this morning you're in this place because your relationship with your Father, God, who has saved you through Jesus Christ, you've come to be one of His children, but maybe this morning your relationship is not what it should be. Maybe there's something in your life you're holding on to with everything that you are. And God's saying, if you'll just let it go, if you'll just open your hands, I'll put something in your hands that you cannot imagine. Maybe this morning you're sitting in this place because God wants you to let go of that which holds you back so that he can give you that which will move you forward. Maybe you just need to be reminded of who God is in your life this morning. And you need to yield the lordship of your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you come into this place with a situation that's bigger than life. Bigger than life for you this morning. Maybe you don't see a way out. Maybe you cannot see the end of the tunnel. God's already at the end of that tunnel. God's already seen the problem in your life. God's already given an answer to it. He just wants you to allow him to do the work in your life it takes to get you through the problem. God never promises that you as his children will not have a a problem. What he promises is you won't have a problem he can't solve and he won't be with you in. No matter the problem in your life, he is holding your hand. He is walking you towards the answer if you will yield the leadership of your life to him. The point of the matter is this. It's the title of the sermon this morning. God rigged it. God rigged your life. He's rigged it for his glory. God has rigged it for his glory. I know we're out of time. If you've got to leave, you leave. I want to hear the rest of the message. The second point is this. God is sovereign not only over all things. He's sovereign over all, over all people. Esther 4.14. Esther 4.14 points to that. Whatever it says. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Mordecai reminded Esther that God would deliver. He would either do it through her or through someone else. It was never a question as to whether or not God was going to do his part. The question was whether Esther was going to do her part. We must understand that God does not need us. God is not waiting on you. He's not saying, if you'll just do it, we'll get there. He says, you do it or I'll find somebody else that will. God is not looking for volunteers. 
This is not the army. He is not lining you up and said, everybody who wants to participate, step forward and he's waiting to see who comes out of the crowd. God's going to do it whether you're involved or not. God is looking for the obedient, faithful follower of a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to do that which he is asking us to do. We're not doing him a favor by participating. He did us a favor. When he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross. And because he died on the cross, we are to be obedient to what he asked. It's a free gift that comes with responsibility. And the responsibility is to recognize the free gift, the salvation, is not the end all. It's the beginning of the journey. To be a follower of Christ is more than a casual assistant when you have time. You're either all in or you're all out. Remember Revelation 3, 15, and 16, if memory serves me correctly. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I can only wish that you were either cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm, I vomit you out of my mouth. That's what God said. To the church. You're either all in. Or you're all out. You know what God feels like. Or you know what God. How God feels about halfway Christians. You make him sick to his stomach. That's what he said. I vomit you out. That's what it means to spew. You stand in the middle of the road. God would rather you either be in. Or be out. How many of us today are making God sick to his stomach? Mordecai told Hester, You can respond in obedience and be saved from certain death because God is in control. Or she could be disobedient and her and her entire family would perish. God takes his call on our lives extremely serious. He takes it so serious that he tells you this. You are to take up your cross daily and follow him. Daily. You don't get Saturdays off. Sunday you don't get a pass. You don't put the cross back up at supper time. You pick it up and you go where Christ tells you to go. If you choose to be disobedient, he'll just use someone else. And rest assured, the blessing that goes with obedience is not going to fall on you. Disobedience to an almighty sovereign God is not overlooked because you've been accepted or because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just because Christ is your Lord and Savior, God doesn't give you a pass on being just disobedient. Just like Mordecai was telling Esther, just because you're a queen doesn't mean you get a pass, Esther. When death comes to the Jews, you'll be in line too. No, the Bible actually tells us that the ones of us who know him as Lord and Savior, when we are disobedient, what happens? As my daddy said, I think we're going to go out to the woodshed for a few minutes and work this out. Disobedience to an almighty God has consequences. It has consequences. Many of you may be living in consequences today because of your disobedience to an almighty God. 
It's only one resolution to that. Asking for forgiveness, knowing he will forgive you of that, and then being obedient. And why would you want to be anything other than obedient to an almighty God? What could possibly come from not obeying the one who loved you so much he killed his only begotten son for you? There's no logical thought that could go into being disobedient to an almighty God. Maybe you say, Pastor, I'm too young. We've got young people here. Maybe you say, I'm too young to do that. Might have remind you of a king named David and a giant named Goliath. <laughs> At the exact same time, maybe you tell me, hey, you know what? I'm a little too old for all this, Pastor. Remember the guy on the mountain with the sun laying on the altar who lifted a knife? I believe, let's see, he was somewhere near 100 when he got involved. When you get to 100, come talk to me. Maybe you say, I'm not smart enough, or I'm not eloquent enough. I don't know that I can even tell the story. I can't do the, the Scripture justice to, to go out and use Scripture to tell someone about Jesus. I, I, Pastor, I'm just not able to because I, I'm not highly educated. <laughs> you ever read the story of Moses? You ever seen where one told God, I don't talk very well. This is great. You got an assistant. Next problem. Maybe you say, like I could say, with the life I've lived, I'm too bad to be a representative of God. Next time you pick up your New Testament and you pass a book written by the man named Paul, stop and decide of how many Christians you have murdered in the name of religion and see how you stack up. If it wasn't for Paul, your New Testament would be about that thick. Maybe. You say you don't know what to do, and that's probably where the problem lies. You could start by getting up in the morning, praying to an almighty God to ask for forgiveness for your sins. Like I mentioned to the children, you could pick up the thing called the Bible that gains dust on your counter every week until Sunday comes along. You could open it up and ask God to have the Holy Spirit work in your heart to understand what the Word says, because everything God wants you to do is contained between the covers of that Bible laying in your lap. And it's not going to jump off into your head unless you pick it up and read it. Don't tell him what you want to do. Don't give him reasons why you can't do it. Don't remind him of all your shortcomings. He knows all those things. And he loved you anyway. He loved you anyway. He knows the life you lived. He knows the things you can't do. He knows the things that scare you to death. And he picked you anyway. You're in the kingdom. He chose you. Don't give him the excuses. Repent of your sin of not doing those things that you should have been doing. Get up off your knees and get on with it. Because I can't help but think we're in the kingdom at this time for such a time as this. There's a world full of people that are dying. There's a world full of people who are going to a place called hell that have never heard the gospel. And you don't have to go to a subordinate third world country like we were in to find them. You have to walk out your front door and go in your neighbor's house to find them. You have to go to the grocery store and stand in line to find them. You have to go to work and sit next to the guy to find them. There are people all over our communities, our neighborhoods, even in our families that if they died tonight, they would open their eyes in the worst of all places. It would make Haiti look like heaven in the place that they're going because they're going to spend eternity in a place filled with torment, the gnashing of teeth that their only desire would be to get out of. And we sit there as if we don't care. 
I don't want to be the one to stand before Jesus. When he says, what have you done with the gospel that saved your life? And go, I accepted it. I'm here. Let me in. Because the end of the story is not your salvation. The end of the story is the glory of God through the spread of his love through the story of Jesus. Very quickly, God's sovereign over all things. God's sovereign over all people. And God's sovereign over all time. Nothing happens by coincidence. Things just don't happen because the stars line up or because the farmer's almanac says it's going to this time this year. Believe it or not, the farmer's almanac doesn't know more than God does. It's pretty close at a few things, but it just doesn't know. Things happen because God is using all things, all people, and all of time to bring himself glory. And we, the church, are to be about God's work. We're not to be glorified. If we're not glorifying Him in all that we're doing, we need to stop. We just need to stop. We are not to do tomorrow what we did yesterday because that's what we've always done. We're not to create programs or have services or do mission work or feed the poor or do any of those things if it's not for the glory of God. Time's running out. The end of time is closer than it has ever been. The return of Jesus is closer than it has ever been. It's time we realize that the end is drawing near. We don't need to be out entertaining the membership or having a good face on in the community or feeling good about the things we're doing or feeding people because we feel like that's what we ought to do to make it look good, like God's doing something in the community. Unless we know that that is what God would have us do, we need to stop. We need to start doing that, which he would have us do. We need to live our life as if this day is the last day we have. The church needs to live as if this is the last time you'll sit next to that person in that pew. If you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow at noon to take you to heaven, how would you spend the next 24 hours? What the next 24 hours of your life look like if you knew Jesus was going to call you home at noon tomorrow? If you knew he was coming back at 3 o'clock this afternoon, what would the next three hours look like in your life? If you knew when I walked that aisle to say our closing prayer in a few minutes to stand by that back door, Jesus was going to call you home, what would you be doing right now? Would it be what you are doing? We don't know. We don't know when the time is, but we do know this. God is sovereign over it. He controls all of time. Are you willing to gamble with the fact that you have another day? Are you willing to gamble with the fact that you have another year? For some, you need to examine your heart to see if you've ever come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And listen to me. I tell you this many Sundays. But I beg you. Don't let the fact that you've walked an aisle. That you've shook a preacher's hand. That he's led you in a prayer of salvation. And that you've been dunked in a baptismal pool. Be 
your answer to this question. Have you ever come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If the only example you can give me is the date and the time of those things I mentioned, I'd back up and punt. You do realize there's nowhere in the Bible that says you're to walk an aisle and pray a prayer. Do you realize that? We've sold that in religion for years. Conversion is complete, total turning over your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Doesn't have anything to do with what the preacher does with you at the front of the church. Is it part of it? Absolutely, because it's a public profession. But that is not salvation. Salvation is realizing your destiny, if you die at this second, is a place called hell. And you don't want that. You want heaven. And the only way to get that is to have Jesus as your Savior. And remember, to have Him as your Savior, He must also be your Lord. Have you ever made that decision? Will you let the pride of the fact that you don't want the person sitting next to you that's been sitting there for 25 years to know that, you know, I really have never made that decision. Will you let that keep you in your seat this morning? I pray not. But what do you get for disobedience to God? Death. Being disobedient to God with this will give you eternal death. I beg you. Look at your heart this morning. If you don't know Jesus, you could be here for such a time as this. Maybe this morning you know Jesus. But you can't think of the last time you've done anything that has made a difference for his kingdom. That, my friend, is disobedience. God calls us to make our lives fruitful so that those around us come to know him as God through his son, Jesus Christ. If you cannot remember the last time you've done something that glorifies God because you shared Jesus with somebody in your life, you're in a disobedience. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants you with all that he is. And he wants you completely, completely in to have one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom makes you lukewarm. Don't make God vomit you out. Come. How do you do that? You just come and say, God, I realize I'm wasted for some 10, 15, 20, 30 years of my Christian walk doing nothing. But today that's going to change. I'm going to leave this place all in. Maybe this morning. That's why you're here for that, for such a time as this. Can you honestly look God in the face this morning and say, I am absolutely where you want me in my walk with Christ? If you can't, repentance is waiting. Forgiveness is waiting. You repent of that sin, and Christ will forgive you. God has rigged all of these things for his glory. All of creation, all of history, all of time, all of us have been rigged by God for his glory. And who's to say? 
that each of us are not in his kingdom for such a time as this. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.